You're listening to Isaiah, a sermon series from Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska. For more resources, visit cdomaha.com. Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the shepherd shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put over their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand, his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. This is God's word. If the Christian storyline were to be made into a movie, uh, Isaiah 11 would be the perfect trailer. Consider this with me for a moment. Where do we leave things at the end of Isaiah chapter 10? In Isaiah chapter 9 and 10, we saw God giving his prophetic word that he was going to stretch out his hand against his people and he was going to judge them for their arrogance and for their oppression. He was picking up the Assyrian nation from the north and he was going to use them as a rod or as an axe to chop down his people like a lumberjack would clear out a forest. 
And we also saw in chapter 10 of Isaiah that God was eventually going to turn the tables on the Assyrians, and he was also going to take this mighty nation, this nation that at one time was seen as mighty, as strong, as undefeatable, as powerful, and with one swing of the axe, he was going to chop them to the ground as well. Last week, we were given a picture of God's righteous, sovereign, and purposeful anger. And the image that we were left with was one of death and destruction and utter desolation. Complete deforestation. Not a bird soaring in the sky, not a bird chirping. No squirrels running around, no squirrels jumping from tree limb to tree limb. Nothing but darkness. Nothing but stump after stump after stump after stump as far as the eye could see. Then God, who intimately knows the needs of his people, takes them by the hand and walks them into Isaiah chapter 11, giving them exactly what they need. Now, I don't know about you, but over the last uh, month or so, um, I've had my attention consistently focused on the trees in our city. I've been watching and waiting as I've been just driving down the streets looking at the trees for those little green shoots just to bud out at the end of the trees. Watching and waiting for there to be a sign of the end of the cold winter and for there to be new life. It was about two weeks ago that finally came. And what you see as you drive the streets now is, is kind of the, the growing sense of spring. God, knowing the exact needs of his people in this day, gives him something unexpected and extraordinary. In the midst of deforestation, as far as the eye could see, we read in verse 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Hope. And not just any kind of hope. Verse 2 goes on to say, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Not just any hope, the hope of a hero. In Isaiah chapter 11, God reveals to the people of Isaiah's day and continues to proclaim to us today the hope of a hero. And you need the hope of a hero. Life is full of challenges and tragedies. And whether or not you're experiencing them right now, if your missional community or your friend group or your family is anything like mine, there's a number of people around you who are. And the reason we need the hope of a hero is because we are a story-formed people. Now, what do I mean when I say that? You and I cannot make sense of anything in this world without attaching it to a storyline. And every good story has in it tension and a hero who ultimately comes in the end to save the day. Consider the elements of a story. A story must have an account of how life should be, an explanation of what went wrong, and some proposed solution to what's going to make things right again. Or to say it another way, every story must answer three questions. How are things supposed to be? 
what is the main problem with the way things are and what can be done to make things right? In what or in whom should we put our hope? And no one can function in the world today without some working answers to those big questions. So what we do is we adopt a story or a worldview to explain things. And having the right storyline is of utmost importance because the right storyline provides a way out of chaos. The problem that we see with most storylines, if you were to look at them, is that they they find or they identify some part of the created world as the problem, and then they go and they find another part of the created world as the solution. Let me give you a couple examples. For Plato, the solution to the problem of human weakness was a return to discipline, to traditional moral values, to responsibility. For Marx, the solution of the problem of greedy capitalists was a totalitarian state. For Freud, the solution to the problem of repressed deep desires for pleasure was to promote the unrepressed freedom of the individual. Now, the Christian storyline, on the other hand, is utterly unique in that it fundamentally identifies the problem as relational. Think about it. How are things supposed to be? Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that God, out of the overflow of his love, one who is all-powerful, he creates the heavens and he creates the earth and he creates everything in it, and it was good. And there was order and there was structure and there was harmony to the world. And God walked in unhindered relationship with man. What went wrong? Genesis 3 tells us that sin entered into the world and man rebelled against God, breaking relationship with him. All that was good, all that was joyful, all that was satisfying was fractured. And all of creation began to decay. It became perverted. It experienced brokenness. So now, if the Christian storyline understands the nature of the problem of humankind to be fundamentally relational, then the solution must be relational as well. And it is. You see, God knows your need for hope. But not just any hope, the hope of a hero. The hope of a hero that is captivating enough to sustain you and to empower you through the daily grind of what often seems like life in a hopeless world. The hope of a hero who will bring healing for his people. The hope of a hero that we will look at as we walk through Isaiah chapter 11. So if you have a Bible with you and you haven't done so yet, please open it up to Isaiah chapter 11. If you don't have one with you, we'll have the uh, words up on the screen for you. And here's what we want to do as we just dissect this text and we just walk through it together. We want to answer three simple questions. And here's what they are. Who is this hero? What will he do? And who will he do it for? Who is this hero? What will he do? And who will he do it for? All right, who is this hero? Let's take a look at him. Verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, Jesse was the father of King David, which indicates that the hero that this text is talking about is an offspring of the line of Jesse, 
a shoot from the stump, a branch, a byproduct, a man who was born of the line of King David's royal lineage. But not only that, look with me quickly down at verse 10, how it describes the same hero. In that day, the root of Jesse. Do you see the distinguish, distinguish, distinction there? The hero is not only the byproduct or the shoot of Jesse, the hero is also the source or the root of Jesse. Verse 1 affirms his humanity. Verse 10 affirms his deity. So here we have a hero who is fully God and who is fully man, who also has the full anointing of the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding for leadership, the Spirit of counsel and might for battle, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord for holiness. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So not only does this hero have the full anointing of the Holy Spirit, not only does he have the full capacity to lead and to wage war and to pursue holiness, but this text says that his delight, his desires, his ultimate pleasure are to lead people into the worship of God, to defeat evil, to pursue holiness holiness goes on to say in verse 3 and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This hero truly is a holy judge. Holy in the fullest sense of the word. Holy in that he's morally perfect, but holy also in that he's altogether different than anything we've experienced before. This is a type of judge who will ultimately rule over all of creation, but who will never have any need to call a witness. He will never have any need to listen to testimony. He will never have any need to hear a counter-argument. He will never have a need to go back and review the law books to determine how does the law work out and how does it need to be nuanced to this situation. No, this holy judge is altogether different than any other judge you've ever seen before. He will execute justice and equity by the power of his word because righteousness and faithfulness are the true essence of who he is. Can you see him? Do you know who this hero is? This hero is no other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know in the New Testament... When the Bible speaks about Jesus following his resurrection, he identifies him as the first fruits. The first fruits of a new creation, the first installment of a new, wonderful, beautiful creation. Jesus also was a descendant of the line of Jesse. He came out of David's royal lineage. But also in the book of Colossians, Jesus is identified as one through whom all things were created. In Jesus, we have full humanity and we have full deity coming together. 
Jesus, at his baptism, was anointed with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He was given wisdom and understanding for leadership. He was given counsel and might to war victoriously over sin and Satan and death. And he was given knowledge and fear of the Lord so that he could live a holy life and redeem to himself who would be called a holy people. This hero is Jesus who is now seated at the right hand of the Father who will come one day to judge the living and the dead in both righteousness and faithfulness. Oh, if we would just see this Jesus as the only one, the only one who is worthy of our hope. The only hero who stands with enough authority to rule over all of creation. The only hero filled with the Holy Spirit with enough wisdom and knowledge and understanding to be able to lead in righteousness and truth. The only hero who has enough strength to actually defeat death. Jesus is the hero. This is Jesus that we're talking about here. This is the hero. This is where our hope is. This is Jesus. So if that's who the hero is, then we have to ask the question, what will this hero do? What will Jesus do? And in Jesus, what we have is we have the hope of a hero who will bring healing. And I love the way that Isaiah is about to describe and show us this healing. Because what he doesn't do is he doesn't just say, uh, Jesus is going to come and bring healing and make things right and restore things and make things harmonious again. No, he doesn't tell us about it. He shows it to us. He gives us images and he gives us pictures. He allows our imaginations to experience a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. So let your imagination sink in. Verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. Two years ago when we moved into uh, our new home in our new neighborhood, it did not take us long before we were introduced to the two Great Danes that live next door. Great Danes are a beastly, tall, horse-like looking dog. Okay, something that you would anticipate to see maybe in the Chronicles of Narnia. One of those animals that you expect at any point maybe might talk to you. Okay, it's just, it's just this weird, weird animal. And it also didn't take us long for our neighbor to tell us the story about how one of the other neighbor's cats got into their backyard and one of the Great Danes actually killed and ate the cat. Okay, now, I'm neither here nor there on cats. Okay, but God has entrusted to... I'm going to get emails on that over there. It's just her face dropped. Um... I've got four little kids that I've got to protect, right, and care for. And we've got these two Great Danes living next door. So last summer, uh, the story goes uh, that uh, my wife was home playing with the kids, and uh, she, she was taking our youngest uh, up for his nap in the middle of the day. And while she was going up there, she had all the windows open so she could hear outside and hear the kids playing. And all of a sudden, she could hear two dogs barking. She could hear the chain link fence that separates the property starting to rattle. And she could hear our, at that time, two-year-old son screaming at the top of his lungs in fear and in terror. So she runs downstairs as quickly as she can. She gets outside. Once she gets outside, she finds out that everything's okay. The dogs are on the right side of the fence. Uh, Jude, who was our two-year-old at that time, is just kind of standing there frozen, just stuck. Um, and one of his older sisters is standing between the two parties, rebuking the dogs, yelling at them for barking at their, her brother. Um, 
But I, I share this story with you for a reason, because the type of healing that Isaiah is giving us a taste of here is absolute peace and absolute harmony to the very core of creation. We see here apex predators walking with who were at one time unassuming prey and leading them both are children. My kids love to play lion. They oftentimes want me to be down on all fours so they can jump on my back and act like I'm the Lion King or something. This text gives me hope that there will be a future day where their play will ultimately become a reality. And on a side note, for those of you who have lost children or grandchildren, consider the joy that you will see on their face under these circumstances in the new heavens and new earth. That's true hope right there. Let's keep going. Verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze together. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. In some churches, this is now the perfect time to bring out the snake, right? And to do some sort of crazy trust faith exercise to show you what real faith would be if you actually trusted in God. Um, I got outvoted. We're not going to do that this morning. Um, But there is a subtle exercise that I want to do here. And here's what the exercise is. I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning. In a moment, I'm going to put a picture of a cobra uh, up here on the screens. Okay? It's one of the most dangerous, dangerous, fiercest cobras in Africa. There's actually a species of it at the Henry Dorley Zoo here in town. Okay? And here's what I want you to do. When you see the cobra come up on the screen, I just want you to observe how your body responds. Okay? All right, let's show the picture. Okay, now picture for a moment, just just a moment, a young child who just learned how to sit up, sitting next to that cobra. Okay, take it away, take it away. (laughs) How did your body respond? I, I can only speculate here that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be adrenaline. We will still be able to experience the power and the joy and the rush of adrenaline. But in that day, all the negative stress, all of the fear, all of the anxiety, all of the nervousness will be non-existent. You see, what, what Isaiah is showing us here is when Jesus returns as the hero and he restores healing to the world, it's an absolute reverse of the curse. Equity will no lo- or enmity will no longer exist between the serpent and between Eve's offspring because evil will have been eliminated. Pain will no longer be associated with childbearing. Pointless and fruitless will no longer be words that are associated with work and vocation. Absolute peace. Absolute joy. Absolute harmony and justice to the world. How does this come? Verse 9, 
They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Listen to what Ray Ortland says in his commentary on this verse. He says, When the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, the scars of our ugly utopias will disappear forever under the overflowing healing of Christ. If we bow to the rule of Jesus Christ, he will lead us into everything safe and pleasant, with no dark side, no forced laughter, no guilty conscience, no unhealed wounds. The victory of Jesus will be the awakening and purifying and restoring and gladdening of all things human. You see, just as the rejection of the knowledge of the Lord brought about a curse on creation, so the return of the knowledge of the Lord will bring healing to all of creation. In Jesus, we have the hope of a hero who will bring healing. Now that begs the final question. Who will he do it for? And to answer it simply, in Jesus we have the hope of a hero who will bring healing for his people. Look with me again to verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people's, Of him shall the nations inquire. Make a mental note of that because we're going to come back in a moment. And his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Do you remember the recurring refrain that we heard over and over and over again in Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 10? It was this refrain. For all his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. This same hand of God that we saw was extending out to apply judgment to his people, is extending out a second time again, but this time, rather than judgment, he brings comfort to his people. He extends his hand to mercifully recover the remaining remnant of his people. And in the same hand, we see discipline and comfort. We see strength and mercy. We see truth and grace, the same hand that executes judgment upon his people has the names of his people written upon them. The same hand that put Jesus to the cross to die in our place for our sins also holds you tightly and protects you from anything that might try to separate you from the eternal, everlasting love of God. You see, in one hand, we have the wrath of God and we have the love of God. Those two things, they must go together. And when you see in that hand both strength 
and beauty, you began to understand the magnitude and the glory and the sovereignty with regards to his plan and his purposes for his people. So the text tells us that God extends his hand in a comforting, gracious way. But not only that, in verse 12, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. This is the same God who in Isaiah chapter 5 raised up a signal then too. But at that time when he was raising up that signal, he was calling the enemy nations to come and to destroy his people. At this time, the signal goes up and he's calling the nations to himself. He's creating a way for all of the nations to inquire upon his grace and the triumph of his victory over evil. And here's why this is good news. You, I, we are the nations. You see, I want you to hear this. In Jesus, we have the hope of a hero who will bring healing, and that healing is exclusive to his people. It's exclusive to a people that God has called to himself and as evidence have transferred their hope and put it in him. But this hope of a hero is also radically inclusive. This hope of a hero crosses all racial and social and economic and national lines. See, all peoples from every nation, once they see the signal, are invited to come and to inquire of the Lord. And they do. They come and they inquire of the Lord. All of the nations are called and beckoned to wrestle with who is Jesus Christ and what is the good news of the gospel. Where is Christianity flourishing today? If you were to look at the top five countries today where really Christianity is flourishing, here's three of them. Nepal, China, Saudi Arabia. Okay? What is this a picture of? This is a picture of God's comforting hand extending out again. This is a picture of God raising up a signal and calling to himself a beautifully rich, diverse people to himself to be called his people, to be called his bride, to be called his church. That's good news. That's good news. We are the nations. Verse 13. The jealousy of Ephraim, Ephraim is shorthand for Israel, by the way, shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. One quick note on this, because I think it's worth saying, uh, and it's important for us to wrestle with. Here's what this text is telling us about the day to come. Okay? The church will no longer be marked by jealousy and accusation. His people the bride of Christ, the church, will only get to experience the best of one another all of the time for eternity. Now draw your attention as we finish out the rest of Isaiah 11 to the strength and to the might of God as he clears a way for his people to return to him. We'll pick up in verse 14. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. 
and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. You see, biblical hope is an assured future. It's not, a, it's not a type of wishful thinking. That's too weak. That's too flimsy to describe biblical hope. Biblical hope is a strong, confident assurity about what is to come. And I want to invite you to go back and to review, scan over Isaiah chapter 11 later on tonight or maybe even this afternoon. Here's what you're going to find in 16 verses. You're going to find 36 different references to I shall do this. This shall happen. I will do this. This will happen. There is tremendous confidence. There is tremendous security. There is tremendous assurity in these promises. Why? Because they're not contingent upon us. There's no command in here for his people. There's no requirement, there's no duties, there's no action items. Nothing here is delegated to you. This is promise after promise after promise after promise. 36 different promises of God assuring you of what shall happen, of what will happen. And it's that type of hope, it's that type of confidence that allows you to stand in the face of life with courage and with tenacity to face difficulties, to face struggles, because we have great confidence as the people of God for what God is going to do for us. That is a confident hope. You need desperately the hope of a hero. We all do. As a story-formed people, you're designed to put your hope in something. You can't help but put your hope in something or in someone. And hope is always future tense. Isaiah 11 was a future hope for his people. And for us standing here today receiving this news, this is a future tense hope for us. It's a hope in a new heavens and a new earth and a full creation. Cormdale, Isaiah chapter 11 is God's gracious gift to us this morning. All I've been wanting to do is just lay out this hope of a hero and invite all of us to just transfer our hope wherever it's at where we came in this morning, wherever it is, transfer our hope to him. That's what it means to be his people, is that at one time we've transferred our hope to him. That's conversion. And then as we walk out and as we live out the Christian life, we continue to transfer our hope from the things of this world back to him through repentance and faith. And that's the invitation for everyone this morning, to transfer our hope in a hero who actually has the power and the weight and the significance and the authority and the rule and the reign to be worthy of our hope. You need the hope of a hero. Why hope in the limited knowledge of this world when you can hope in a hero who is the ultimate source of all wisdom and knowledge and understanding? Why hope in the mere strength of this world when you can hope in a hero who is strong enough and mighty enough to defeat sin and to defeat death? 
Why hope in the justice of this world when we can hope in a hero who will bring perfect justice because he is a holy judge who does all things in righteousness and faithfulness? Why settle for hoping for things just to get a little bit better when we can hope in a hero who is promised to make all things new again? Can you only imagine what the worship of God's people will be like when all of these promises are fulfilled? We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we saw in Isaiah 11 your anointing of Jesus Christ giving him knowledge and understanding for leadership, giving him counsel and might to wage war against the enemy, and giving him knowledge and the fear of the Lord to be able to live a holy life and to redeem to himself a holy people. Holy Spirit, we want to ask you in this moment, in this place, to anoint us with your Holy Spirit in a way that strengthens our hope and that gives us great confidence to live such strong and confident, virtuous lives in the face of all the difficulties and all of the tragedies that are bound to come our way. God, strengthen us as your people. Allow us to celebrate uh, a hope that is different than any other. The hope of a hero. The hope of a hero who will bring healing the hope of a hero who will bring healing for his people. Fill us with that hope. Give us your strength. In Christ's name, amen.